you would please turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. I'll be reading Luke, chapter 18, verses 28 through 34. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. And taking the twelve, he said to them, Look, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This was hidden from them. And they did not grasp what was said. Let's pray. Father, Jesus accomplished that journey up to Jerusalem. And thus on this side and on this morning, may it not be said that any not grasp what he predicted and subsequently accomplished on the cross. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see the Christian life, the eternal life that your Son purchased for all who will believe to the glory of his name. Have you ever experienced somewhere down the road of your Christian walk asking yourself the question, is it worth it? Have you ever compared your Christian life of sacrifice with many that you know in the world who live for the world. You look around, you say, looks like things are going pretty good for them. They have plenty of money, investment, and take nice vacations, drive expensive cars that don't break down all the time. They have lots of fun toys. Times you may consider and you think, if I didn't follow Christ so passionately, I could have at least some of those things that I don't yet now have. Over the last 20 years of our marriage, if my wife and I would have taken what we tithe to the local church, and honey, just have banked it, 
we have a large down payment on a home. We could take vacation after expensive European vacation. We've just done that last 20 years. We could have annual Disneyland passes for all eight of us year after year after year with plenty left over to throw into a retirement fund. Is it worth it? Like unbelievers, families, friends, neighbors, at times we see and life gets hard and we look, boy, if I weren't following Jesus, I'd be more freed up on Sunday mornings and play it by ear that weekend. Sleep in. Well, that'd be fun. Is it really worth it to follow Christ? Teenagers, is it worth it to not follow our romantic crushes if it's not for the purpose of culminating in marriage with a real believer? Is it worth it not pursuing sinful sexual relationships? Jesus calls all of his followers to turn away from the pathway of sinful lifestyles in order to follow him. He's saying it throughout. Do you remember in chapter 14 where Jesus said, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus speaks to his beloved apostle John decades later. As John writes to people like us, church people, Embrace Christ's body because we embrace Christ. And he writes and he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of possessions, he's pretty realistic, isn't he? He knows this life. He says it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. See, the many, many texts like those two I just read that we find in the New Testament, they're not written as, as options for the super-committed Christian. They are the normal Christian life. And that life of faith in Christ brings trials. And part of those trials at times is you do face alone that question. Am I making a mistake? to give up all this in order to follow Christ. Are you looking down there, Luke 18? Verse 28 there. The Apostle Peter 
He's looking for some kind of reassurance about his own decisions and commitment to Christ. Remember the disciples had just seen Jesus speak to the rich young ruler and says, yeah, is that how you're going to get eternal life? Sell all you have. Give that money to the poor and come. Follow me. Let me pause for a moment. One of the parallels in the synoptics says, and Jesus loved him. That's why he said what he said to him. Come follow me and you will have treasure in heaven. And they watched this guy turn around walk away from following Jesus. Sad. And that's where Peter's going to pop in in verse 28. See, Jesus, we have left our homes and followed you. Peter's wondering, what's in it for us? It's not an overread. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have this particular incident happening, parallel passages. And in Matthew, he, he makes it clear in Matthew 19, verse 27. He, here's Matthew's version, who was there. Jesus did, I mean, Peter said more than this. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? In other words, we left all this, Jesus. Is it worth it? What are we going to get? Or are we fools to have given up all this to follow you? And don't miss this. Jesus had no problem with Peter's question. Oh, Peter, you're so selfish. He, it's not what he thought. It's not what he said. Actually, Jesus' answer to Peter is a reassurance to Peter and to John and to Matthew and to every Christian down through the ages. He says, in the essence, trust me, Peter. Yeah, I know you have. I know you left at home. And you have made the wisest choice possible for securing your own real, long-lasting happiness. That's what's in it for you. And Jesus' answer in this text gives us believers ammunition against the constant deception of Satan and his demons, who says constantly, hey, look at so-and-so, look at this, look at that. If you just stop following Jesus, you can have this. Sounds really familiar, doesn't it? That's what Satan said to Jesus in his humanity in the wilderness, essentially. All the world here, all the kingdoms I give to you, just turn from the Father and worship me. And we know how he fought it. We know how the eternal God who became a human being and in his true humanity fought it the book. He looked, he memorized, he held on to the promises of God. 
going to come back in a few minutes and look at the promise that Jesus makes in this text that is the promise to motivate the Christian life. We'll come back to that in a minute. But first, something so crucial underneath that. We must be convinced of the foundation upon which this promise rests. And just notice, it's the next thing Luke brings into the narrative. See it there? Start with verse 31. And taking the twelve, he said to them, you see, guys, look, going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and he will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Son of man, it's going to happen. This term, son of man, is Jesus' term referring to himself that he gets from Daniel chapter 7. There's a prophecy about himself. It's the prophecy where Yahweh, the God of Israel, will bestow upon a human being, a man, glory and sovereignty and eternal everlasting dominion and this is the term that Jesus picked up in his ministry to refer to himself in the third person part of his way of hiding from the disciples until he does what he's going to do of what's really happened they're scratching their heads all the way through but here's the point Jesus is somewhere around 35 to 36 years old. He knows exactly who he is. And he knows exactly why he came. He's saying, I am the Ancient of Days. I am the Son of David. I am the Eternal One. I am the Sovereign King who will inherit an everlasting, unending throne. He knows self-consciously who he is. Let me just pause for a moment. Here's a big word, Christology. Every Christian has one, whether they know that term or not. And hopefully your Christology is biblical. And it just means answering biblically the question, who is Jesus? He is the eternal God, fully, who's become a human being. Now, let me just say something about that. Besides being the second person of the Trinity, no one, no theologian in history has had a higher Christology than Jesus himself. He knows exactly who he is. I am the Son of Man of Daniel chapter 7, the divine human king who will reign, and I know exactly why I've come. Why, Jesus? Here's the flow of our text. In order to secure and to make absolute all the promises 
of God. Like the one I, Jesus, just made in verse 30. And in the age to come, eternal life. The flow here is this. The way that you know that that promise is absolutely true is that I'm going to Jerusalem to solidify it by being spit on. By being taunted orally. By being whipped. By being tortured slowly to death. on the third day I will rise from the dead. That's the foundation of the promise guys I just gave you. This is the sixth time in Luke's narrative that Jesus predicts his death in Jerusalem. Just a, just a taste. Back in chapter 9 we saw him say the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and he must be killed. And on the third day he will be raised. Every time he looks at his disciples and he says, quote, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. This is the core of Christianity. To be the substitute for you who would believe in Him. To step in and to take upon himself the punishment for your sins by being put to death and thus satisfying the justice of God paid in full. And then on the third day, rising to new, physical, yet immortal, spiritual, slash different form of human existence that is very physical and very human and is guaranteed to all who believe in Him. And by that work that He will be doing in Jerusalem at this point in the narrative, probably within weeks, He will secure purchase and thus guarantee all the promises like the one he just made in verse 30. And you will receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. How can you promise that, Jesus? Because I'm going to Jerusalem to be spit upon and mocked and killed and I'll rise from the dead conquering death forever. That's why I can promise it. Just below the text. Now in verse 34, Luke does let us know. It didn't quite sink in yet. And it's not supposed to yet until he accomplishes it. And it will sink in after he was dead, hard, and cold for almost six weeks. 
continued to teach his disciples here and there and ate food with them and they touched it'll sink in but right now it's not supposed to as Luke lets us know but they understood none of these things the saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said but the point is this the cross of Jesus is exactly what must happen or else to follow Christ would not be worth it. But since he did die as the substitutionary sacrifice and he rose from the dead, the whole point is this. Peter, it's worth it. It's worth whatever it cost to follow see Jesus as he's going to Jerusalem and he's now he's gone he's done it he's accomplished it he purchased Christian living following Christ no, no, no you don't do it in that he purchased it for all who will be doing that he bought it and he secured it for them. He purchased, in other words, verses 28 to 30. And Peter says, see, we have left our homes, Jesus, and we've followed you. Unlike this poor soul walking away sad right now. We followed you by leaving this stuff right now. And he said to him, truly I do say to you, there's no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this life, in this time, and in the age to come eternal life. Remember the context. They're there. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This rich, very wealthy young ruler comes up and asks, as a, a Jewish ruler. And Jesus answers him, What do you must do? And he walked away. Sad, the text says. Why? Because for him to follow Christ cost too much. He didn't follow him. And Peter says, we did. We left our homes in Galilee. And we've been following you for these last couple years. Point is, Peter and the other disciples there in their response to Jesus' call they did what the rich young ruler refused to do they left their businesses of tax collecting and fishing and they left their, their, their wives and their families at least for a time to follow him for these many 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 
What does that mean? Now? I just want to pause on that for the next 12 minutes. Follow Christ, because this is the, the issue here. <laughs> I know, you followed me, you got it. And people who follow me, it's the smartest decision they could possibly make for their own welfare. Now, what is that follow in this text? Well, one thing from this text I think it clearly means is that there are drastic changes in how one lives. In the text, it means letting go of whatever sinful lifestyle prevents you from following Christ. It stands in the way. That's why Jesus says, yeah, I want you to follow me. Let's remove what stands in the way. And the guy couldn't do it. See, for the rich young ruler, it was his wealth because his wealth was his God. And Jesus has already made it clear in Luke, you cannot, not you may not, or it's not wise, it is impossible to serve money. God. So Jesus is loving him. For this guy, it was his wealth that was his God that stood in the way of being a Christ follower. He had to let it go in order to be trusting Christ for eternal life. See, it's, in one sense it's simple. Here's Jesus. He's going to Jerusalem. He's going to purchase by His blood eternal redemption. Here He is. And He offers salvation freely. And over here is everything else that has potential of capturing the affections of the heart away from following Christ. That's why Jesus says in verse 29, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. Everything else you mean stuff you even give that in and of itself is not simple? Yes. All the good stuff of life vie for the affections and the allegiance that lead one into not following Christ. For the ruler, it was his money, his property, his wealth. For Peter, he could have said, remember at the beach, we saw this way back sometime in Luke, follow me, Peter. He could have said, I like you, but come on, Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry. Look, I can't leave my business and my wife with the kids for this long and follow you all over the countryside. But, but, but thank you for considering me and thanks for the offer. He could have said that. But he didn't. 
And that same option faces every person who hears the gospel of Jesus down through the centuries. Jesus says, come, follow me into my community, into my body of which I'm the head, into my church and the people I'm gathering. Follow me. And many people say, I can't. My job prevents me from obeying your commands. Like your command, Jesus, in Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 25. Okay, this is, we just all gather with, with, with millions of believers who are living and dead right now, okay? And Jesus speaks to us, to the writer, to the Hebrews. It's part of his, follow me. This is what he says. Let those of us who profess Christ Hold firm the confession of our hope without wavering. Stop, because the writer knows you'll face the question throughout your life. Is it worth it? But hold firm. Don't waver. Because, oh, it's glorious. He who promised purchased it, is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Jesus says, follow me in my body. Don't forsake my church. And you're gathering yourselves together. I'm sorry, Jesus. I can't. I got a business and I will lose out on too much money on Sunday mornings. It could be a wife. It could be a husband, it could be sports, it could be plain old fear of losing out on anything that the world offers. Do, do you, you remember Jesus' banquet invitation back in chapter 14? He says, come, here's an invite, it's free, it's prepared. Come to my banquet with all of my people who will be feasting with you and sit and eat. It's clear in the, in the parable, this is an eternal banquet, eternal life I'm offering to you too. And we read in chapter 14, verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field. And I must go and see it. Please have me excused. I'm going to add this part. From following you. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. And I go to examine them now. I work to do. Then quite fit into my plans right now, Jesus. So please have me excused. 
And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. I don't think Jesus is messing around. Many people throughout the centuries and right today, for instance, those persons right now, those teenage girls, teenage young men, or husband and wife in the third, whatever they are, throughout the Muslim world and living behind Islamic block countries, some are coming to Christ. And they're saying, but mom, dad, husband, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to be baptized and I'm going to become a part of his community. Look, I love you. I'm here for you. I don't want to forsake you. I would love it if you came with me and followed me, but I'm going to do it. And I love the living daylights out of you. But I won't live in disobedience to my Savior for you. Jesus warns against fooling ourselves about what salvation is here. Follow me. Obey me. Make me your treasure above all worldly treasures of money and children and wives and husbands and parents and jobs and careers and toys. But I can't sell all that I have, Jesus, and give it to the poor and come follow you and have treasure in heaven. I can't do that. It's too costly. He walks away. But, but I can't give so joyously and freely of the first fruits of all of my income, Jesus. I can't become a committed member to you and to your members called the body of Christ. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't because, because, because. Bottom line is just simply this. It costs too much. I'm not willing to lose what I would lose by doing that. Or in other words, the way I started the sermon. It's not worth it. Now, now others, besides the toys and the stuff and the world gets in the way, I weigh it, nope, that's too costly. Others just cling to sinful lifestyles in an unrepentant manner, like laid out in Galatians 5. Paul writes like this, sexual immorality. Follow me. Give it up. I can't. Or impurity, or sensuality, or idolatry, or sorcery, or enmity, or strife, or jealousy, or fits of anger, or rivalries, or dissensions, or divisions, or envy, or drunkenness, or orgies, or things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom 
of God. To follow Christ simply means letting go. It's this process that he works in a believer. It is the letting go of those things that prevent you from following Christ. And you follow Christ. That's what following Christ means. I just, or you can say it this way, it is Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, as the Apostle Paul lives out in front of us. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Life has changed. In the life that I now live in the flesh, in the mortality down here, I live by trusting in Christ, by faith in Christ who loved me. Oh, and gave himself up for me. He went to Jerusalem. He gave himself up for me. In other words, to follow Christ means giving up worldliness is a lifestyle. Giving up idolatry, idols, sinful lifestyles. It means to sacrifice that. Not as an end. Not just don't do that because that's what a Christian does. Well, why? Well, there's no why. Just, you just ought to. That's not Christianity. It is to sacrifice that for the goal of the greater offer that Christ purchased and extends freely. It is to sacrifice all the good, all the bad, whatever it is that detracts one from fully following Christ, to say that's in the way of enjoying His presence by the Spirit. It's in the way of my daily life of being used and serving Him by the Spirit. I do it for the greater end. Or let me just, the way, this is how Paul put it in Galatians 3 8. I count everything as loss. Not period. End of issue. No. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth. It's worth it. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For, for His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as trash. Not as an end. In order that I may gain Christ. The pleasures of this world pale in comparison with the pleasures of knowing and pursuing Christ and the ultimate destiny of such a life. The sacrifices of time, money, hardship that the Christian life will bring, those sacrifices are nothing compared to the joy knowing Him and the eternal prize that is laid up for all who have loved 
is appearing. And that is exactly Jesus' point in verses 29 and 30. He's headed to the cross in order to purchase your obedience of laying down your short-term pleasures for the sake of gaining eternal, unending pleasures. And so the question that we began the sermon with is the Christian life, the biblical Christian life, worth it? Jesus answered that question in our text with an emphatic yes. Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this life and in the age to come eternal life. Peter, I know you left your home and your fishing business and it's a wise decision. It's a wise decision, Peter, for you to have taken that drawer of broken dirty wooden spoons and sacrificing them for the sake of allowing me to give you drawers full of silver spoons. And on top of that, unending joy. There's only one response that Peter can make to what Jesus says here. Oh, there will never be a boast that I've ever sacrificed something. <laughs> Notice, there's two things Jesus says here. The first is this. You won't give up what I won't give back in this life. Whatever you lose, for Christ, and many people have suffered unimaginably more than I ever have in my life up to this point in loss for the sake of Christ. But he promises that you will receive back many more times as much in this time. Jesus offers an investment that no spiritually sane person could refuse. Invest your one dollar right here. Come on, give it, yet sacrificing, give it up. And I promise you every single time that will get you back a thousand dollars. If that were true and not just a scam, and with Christ it's true, you, would, you couldn't pass it up. Because it's backed by the bank of heaven. It's backed by what he goes on to say next. We're going to Jerusalem and I'm going there to die. And, and I'm going to back up every promise I'm giving you. If you give up your house or your home or your family because of Jesus, 
in this life here, he gives you hundreds of homes and moms and dads and sons and daughters and families all around the world. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and it's been longer than maybe two days, you have experienced this otherworldly thing of an affinity towards other sinners who are being saved who have also been plucked out of darkness and placed into his light. And it goes across cultures. I remember experiencing this when I lived in Dallas, going to Christ for the Nations. People from all over the world would come here. We'd live on a campus, and, oh, there'd be cultural problems. No, I don't have baseball. You're from England? Okay. Cricket. Who cares? Hell, you don't do American football. But, but Christ was a center. Or Africans from some village life. And you worship Jesus side by side. There's something about what Jesus is doing in this life in knitting people and hearts together. I mean, the people that we didn't know, we have a Christian friend over the years, one from England, one from Austria. We don't know. Yeah, you have them come through. They can stay at our house for days. That's fine. And if they really love Jesus, it's amazing what you have in common, but more particularly he gives the local church. Listen to how he has his apostle Paul say this in Ephesians 4. And Jesus gave gifts to men. He gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, this community, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He says, you may leave, but I'm giving you mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters like you had never known as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12 for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body Jews or Greeks slaves or free billionaires really poverty stricken he grabs them he puts them together when following Christ means we sacrifice temporal pleasures of sin or of time or of money in order to invest into the kingdom of God, Jesus promises in Matthew 6, do not be anxious, saying, well, what shall we eat? Oh, what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Because the Gentiles, his term for unbelievers who don't know Christ, for Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Okay, now. Okay. So, so then, 
security. What is it in the real Christian life? What is it about our sin natures? I don't mean all humanity here now. I mean those of us who, yes, we still have been born into sin, but something happened. We got born again. What is it about our sin natures as Holy Spirit indwelt believers? What is going on there when we do fear? God won't take care of me if I obey Him. The answer is, at that moment, it's a heart in Joe of unbelief. That's the fight of the Christian life, a fight of faith, of pursuing Christ. I have fought the fight, I've kept the faith. It is a fight to hate not trusting in his clear biblical promises and command. Let me, let me quote for a moment because I just found this so good. What one commentator gives this illustration to bring this out. A pastor challenged a young man to start tithing regularly to the Lord's work. The young man hesitated, afraid he couldn't pay his bills if he did. The pastor finally said, listen, could you give in the way I described if I promised to make up the difference each month out of my pocket if you fell short? The young man thought a moment and then said, Yes, I guess I could do it if you'd promise to make up the difference. The pastor replied, How about that? You trust me, a poor pastor with not much in the bank, to meet your bills. But you can't trust the Lord who owns the universe to meet your bills if you obey Him by giving generously. Or probably less than a year later, somewhere in there, Peter and John and James and the others, they will find themselves praying to Jesus who has ascended and to the Father. But Jesus, it may cost us flogging by the Sanhedrin or, or it may cost us even death if we go on in obeying you preaching the gospel in Jerusalem Jesus' answer to them is this trust me it's worth it but Jesus, my Muslim family will disown me if I cling to you and to your church. Jesus' answer is, trust me. It's worth it. But my friends might abandon me if I stop doing the things I used to do with them to follow you. His answer is, trust me, it's worth it. My wife may turn against me if I go to church for two hours on Sunday. 
his answer is, trust me. It's worth it. Down here. Oh, but now watch. So much more. So much more. Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Now that term eternal life there means a whole lot more than living forever. It means living in the future bodily, physical, human resurrection in the presence of God and His love through His Son. It means enjoying the very glory of God Himself as one of His creatures forever. See, when you read about streets of gold and cities made of jewels, I mean, if you're like me, I mean, some of you may be different, but to me it's like, okay, care. Because that's not what they're... What, the Bible's constantly doing. Let me reach for language to try to get anywhere close to that which is impossible to get over to you right now. Of how imaginably glorious my promise actually is. Here's the rub of everything we've seen here. No matter what your age being raised in the church for you who are younger. This will be true. Let the sermon ring five and a half years from now in your head. You can walk away from this true gospel and its demands upon your life sad like the rich young ruler. Or you can trust Him. You can believe that all of His promises are true. And that a few weeks later, He reached His destiny in Jerusalem and He purchased you for eternity. It's worth it. It's worth it to let go of the treasures of this world that prevent you from following Christ. It's worth it to put all of your eggs in the Jesus basket of promises in Scripture. His promise to the rich young ruler is his promise to everyone who is being redeemed by his cross. You will have treasure in heaven if you forsake your sinful lifestyles and follow me. Dear believer, you can trust the truthfulness of all of Jesus' promises like we just saw in this text because he did rise from the dead on the third day. And he's
we will be passing out the cup and the bread. And if you are a baptized believer, you are free to take, hold those, we'll pray over them and partake of them together. Father, oh now, would you continue to work by your Spirit upon our desperate, feeble hearts. Oh, you are so good too. Your word has gone forth and now the, the cup and the body of Christ will be shared together as we anticipate the promise of your future coming one day, Lord Jesus. And we do this in joyful memory of the centrality of our lives which was your life being laid down.